2: here we go the official show on the fish stripes podcast this is our 2021 marlins trade deadline breakdown i'm eli sussman covering the miami marlins every single day in our own way on fish stripes this show brought to you by our partners at symbol the stock market for sports. It wouldn't be a full breakdown if I did it myself, bringing in some of my fish staffers to co-host this with me. It's Ethan Badowski, It's Louis Adio Weiss. Both these guys at the ballpark this past weekend. And we have been as expected, you know, this has been a long time coming with this deadline, knowing the Marlins were for the most part going to be in that traditional sellers position. Uh, so Ethan, I'll, I'll just start with you in general. Um, are you are you excited for this? You know, five oh, days yeah. to go, even knowing where the Marlins are, even knowing where they stand hundred games into the season, uh, is it is it easy for you to still get pumped up about it, even knowing uh kind of like they're not gonna repeat as postseason team or any of that?
1: It's hard for me to get really locked in on the games right now. Uh, when, when, especially when there's so much going on with, you know, what's going on around the team and also what's going on around the league. I mean, you see the trade deadline is kind of already starting and it promises to be a exciting deadline. Uh, we have kind of been itching for one. I don't know. Last deadline wasn't too crazy. And I feel like some of the other sports, you know, the deadlines have disappointed recently, but this promises to be a really intense deadline. And, uh, certainly for the Marlins, they should be one of the bigger players, um, at the deadline. And I see a big of mixing a, a bit of a mix of buying and selling in their future. And there should be a lot of selling and selling is, is, you know, it's tough to see guys go, but it's always fun because you welcome new faces and you get to learn about new guys coming into this system and into the organization. So there should be a lot of that going forward. I know we're going to go through names that we think should be tr- will be traded. And there's a lot of them. Um, but I'm certainly excited to just kind of see how it unfolds. And, for this to all come to a conclusion, really, you know, the, the Marte saga and, and all this, I'm just excited for that to be over and to see how the Marlins approach the deadline.
0: Yeah, I think I'm more excited to see what we're going to get in return for him. You know, it's, it's, he's in an interesting situation because I think you can argue he's probably having arguably one of, if not the best season of his career. But then you also have to factor in the fact that he's, you know, whoever gets him, they're essentially getting a rental before he hits free agency. And that will obviously like affect what it is we're going to get for him. But given the way that he's played, I think he's kind of, and especially today with what he did today, you know, having the three hits, stealing two bases, you know, I definitely think he's positioned Miami as a team to do well. And obviously a shame we couldn't re-sign him, but, at the end of the day, I think if we can get younger pieces that will help us compete in the long term, there's nothing to really complain about.
2: Yeah, we wasted a lot of time. I won't say we wasted it, but we spent a lot of time talking about the idea of extending Marte. Uh, I mean, Ethan was kind of ahead of everybody on that. You were saying back in like February, like before the season started, that it made so much sense to give this guy another couple of years. And then uh, back in about a month and a half ago, me and Lewis, we spent a full pod talking about talking about that as well. And just to get everybody up to speed, it does, according to the reporting, we're going to be referencing Craig Mish a lot on this pod, I imagine, Swings and Mish's host and Miami Herald's contributor, that it's his understanding that those extension talks are totally dead at this point, that they made one last push at the all star break. And there's just too much of a gap about three guaranteed years or four guaranteed years about the average annual value of that extension. And that's why by July 30th at 4 p.m., they expect to trade him and still get quite a bit in return because of how amazingly he's playing. Uh, we could go into him right now. I wanted to just double-check. Out of all these guys on the team, um, on this roster right now, is he the one that you feel is most certain to get traded at the deadline, or is there anybody else you want to pick out first that you think is like 99% to go uh, before the deadline?
1: I'm, I'm going to go with the one of the, uh, into the bullpen, with I'm 100% sure these guys are going to get traded, and it's Richard Blyer, Ross Detweiler, uh, and then probably Dylan Floro. Everybody needs, every team needs a lefty bullpen arm. That's why you see Tony Watson get traded at every deadline. Like, it, the, the trade deadline doesn't start until Tony Watson gets picked to shipped to a new team. So I just kind of think that, uh, you know, Detweiler and Blyer, especially with how successful Blyer's been recently, are pretty much guarantees to go. I would imagine Floro. I mean, you know, we know that Marte is likely to be traded and it seems like he's going to be traded. But for some, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to get traded. I think he's absolutely going to get traded. But with the situation at hand, There's a chance he ends up on the team at the end of the season, but I don't think there's any chance that a guy like Floro, a guy like Blyer, a guy like Detweiler are here throughout the rest of the season. So I would just say those guys in the bullpen are the most confident I'm in. The guys I'm most confident in getting traded.
2: Yeah, We'll start with Blyer because I know Lewis is a big appreciator of the professional Richard Blyer appreciator of how good he is, even if it's a little unconventional, give the people a quick rundown of how good he's been, especially lately, how consistent he's been the past few years, why you think he has pretty significant positive value at this deadline.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you, all it really takes is a quick glance at the baseball savant page to really see like this guy is an absolute outlier in the era in which we play where, you know, the emphasis is on velocity and spin rate and, you know, obviously swing and miss, even though that's much more prevalent than it is now. But Blyer is like an extreme ground ball pitcher. I believe he's – I was reading some baseball savant metrics last night. He's in the sixth percentile and average spin rate, which essentially means that his – fat. I mean, his fastball is not. He's a sinker baller. So, first off, you know, you can throw out a lot of that those RPMs out the window. When you're not generating as much velocity as he is, you're kind of going to be – a guy who's relying on ground balls, you're not necessarily going to be somebody who's striking everybody out, but it's just the way in which he goes about it. It's, you know, he's, he attacks hitters. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't walk guys. And he's essentially the perfect pitcher for what his skill set is as far as velocity is concerned, where he throws strikes when you need him to throw strikes and he's very efficient. He's very quick. So, I mean, like whoever gets them, obviously they're going to be getting a great reliever. Here comes a 2-2 pitch and a swing and a miss. What a job by Richard
1: Blyer. Not a strikeout pitcher until the last ten
2: minutes when he got three in a row. The bonus of Blyer is that he's controllable next year as well. His final Mm -hmm. year of arbitration, and he's relatively affordable this year. It'll only be like a a tiny pay raise next year. I remember being really worried about him early in the year. He gave up, I think, four home runs in the span of a couple weeks. I was, and that came on the heels of a bad spring training as well. I was, I was really concerned about that. And since then, uh, the last really three full months, he's been awesome. He really has been on the short list of he's been the best reliever on the team over the last like three months overall. And, um, one of the best in, in the entire league. So I, I agree. Um, I think even deferring to like Craig Mish, uh, he seemed pretty sure, certain that there's going to be so many teams interested in him because of all the things you just said, uh, the change of pace from other like conventional late ending arms, the versatility, the left-handedness, the affordability, but, uh, Ethan, you did mention the other lefty in the pen, Ross Detweiler, who for most of this year has gone under the radar as being sneaky good, but in like low leverage situations. And then he just totally like self-destructed the last three weeks. He has allowed 15 runs in the last five and a third innings, but only, only 14 earned runs, only 14 earned runs. So that brings down the ERA into like the mid twenties instead of, (laughs) instead of being like off the map, uh, a gazillion home runs during that span. Um, Now, most of that came when they were like using him as an opener, but he was pretty good before that. Um, you do you think he's like any team actually wants him? That's kind of the only question with him because him being a pending free agent, it's even more obvious than Blyer that they want to do everything possible to move him. But is he movable? Is like, is there a bullpen out there on any of these like contending teams that actually feels that there's something there when he's been so bad, especially recently?
1: Yeah, no, it's tough, Eli, because like you said, you know, he's just blown up completely recently. And I think part of it has been because he's been forced into that starter role and it really all started with that weekend in Atlanta where, you know, he had to pitch three innings and then he didn't pitch for a while. And then, you know, everybody's like, where's Detweiler? Where's Detweiler? And I'm like, well, he threw 53 pitches or whatever the number was the other night, you know, he's not going to pitch anytime soon. And then since then he's really been into this opener role this kind of starter role where he, you know, is going in at the beginning of the games and it just hasn't worked at all. The experiment has failed completely, but I actually just looked at his numbers and if you look, cut it off at July. So right before that weekend, his ERA is three, five, eight and his FIP is 2.62. So his ERA has gone up about three runs in a month, which is just insane. Trade value has taken a serious hit um, in the last, you know, two or three weeks. And it's concerning because, you know, the Marlins would like to get something for him. You mentioned he's a free agent at the end of the year. he's on a one-year contract. You know, he definitely is not in the plans in the future, I would imagine. So he's a kind of got, kind of a guy that you want to capitalize on his value at the deadline. And right before the deadline, his value has gone in the tank.
0: But what about a guy like Dylan? I'm not Dylan only form John Curtis. He was the opener today, quick first inning. He's allowed one run, I believe, in like six innings pitched this month. The overall season ERA is two, five, six. I mean, he's averaging a little bit more than a strikeout per inning. And over for again, back to control, whoever acquires him is going to have him for the rest of 2021. And they're going to have him through the 2025 season, that free agent until 2026. He reminds me a little bit of Floral in the sense that, and even you could attest to this, Floral before he really took off with the Dodgers, kind of bounced around with a couple of teams, Cincinnati, I believe one other team, I'm forgetting who Maybe may Cubbies.
1: The I think Phillies. he was a cubby
0: before he actually became a bona fide shutdown reliever and i get and when i wrote the season preview for curtis i kind of thought he was in the same vein but i thought his success would be sustainable because he was moving to a ballpark where if you look at him at uh, baseball references park factors marlin's park is routinely being considered a pitcher's park and he's mm-hmm. pitched relatively well here in the one season or two-thirds of a season in which he's been here but i i mean I, if they're to move him again, I think relievers are volatile, but given the amount of control that he has and he's showing that he's done this more than just that stint with Tampa last year, and he's carrying it over into this year, I think you need a lot for him. I mean, like he's like, you talk about somebody who could get big outs for like the Boston Red Sox in the postseason, mm-hmm. a team that yesterday, they turned a Nathan Evaldi gem into a loss for the, for the Red Sox went for the Yankees. They clearly need bullpen help. He's not a closer, but they need a bridge to Matt Barnes or if they go out and acquire a guy like Craig Kimbrell. I think when you look at the trade deadline, and this is just a general kind of like assertion on my part or just like a thought that I'm having, you kind of have to look at it in the spectrum of what other teams need, what they currently have, and what role is that person going to fill moving forward? Because I think there 30 teams, competitive or non-competitive, would love to have a guy like John Curtis on their team. Again, like – it's not like nobody's even discussed him remotely mm-hmm. as a great candidate, but I think we can get a lot for him. And I don't want to see him leave, but you know, you kind of have to do what you have to do if you want to augment this season and move forward positively.
1: And you want to talk about versatility out of the bullpen. I don't know anybody that gives you more than John Curtis. Exactly. You know, he, yeah. He's pitched all over the place. He can pitch one inning. He can pitch two innings. He can do it in a variety of ways. So uh, yeah, I definitely have thought about Curtis, you know, as a valuable piece and I, you know, there are only a few untouchables on this team and we'll get into that. Um, and I don't think Curtis is one of them, but it would have to be I, I, for him. I think you would have to get a pretty good haul to bring, you know, to get him back. So
2: he had basically been a, really similar to what he was like last year, last year kind of came out of nowhere because he had struggled in those first couple stints with those other teams. Um, and so whenever somebody leaves the raise um, I, I like the trade when they made it at the time, but you're always nervous about a guy that's successful with the Rays who hasn't been successful anywhere else. And then when you take him out of the Rays system um, I, there are other cases I'd point to of guys actually like falling apart or just not getting the right guidance that they need. But for him, he's been yeah, more or less the same guy um, where a little bit like Detweiler, a little bit like Blyer coming out of the gate. It was a little shaky coming out of the gate. And then if you look at the larger sample, he's been fine. Like you said, you can't really rule out anybody. We've seen the way that this front office feels about relievers in general and how it's uh, always trying to rearrange things, uh, taking your best guess at when they're at the peak of their value and then uh, not afraid at all to like, cut ties with them.
1: I think that's the best way to approach relievers because you saw what happened a few years ago, you know, with Adam Conley and Drew Second Rider and Kyle Bearclaw where they had value and the Marlins didn't capitalize on it and then they were, you know, the most they got was a few um, like a million dollars or so for Bearclaw and IFA that they used on Victor Victor Mesa and look how that's gone for them, you know, so I, I think that they they're the I can't remember if that was the end of the last regime or the beginning of this one, but you know, they're kind of realizing you can get a bullpen guy from anywhere. I mean, look at Anthony Bender, you know, he came out of the independent league last year. So bullpen guys just kind of show up and you can just kind of fill the holes. And that's why I kind of think, you know, I agree that capitalize on bullpen value while you have it because they're so volatile and you know, anything can change um, when it comes to the bullpen so quickly and guys can blow up guys can be great guys can, you know, whatever. So I think that, you know, especially people have talked about well, should they trade Bender? Should they keep Bender and kind of build a pen around him? You know, if you get the right offer for that guy, you should chip him off because he struggled recently and you never really know with relievers and uh, you can you can just replace him. So he's not like a you know, he's not like Craig Kimbrell or Trevor Hoffman or somebody like that. He's a replaceable reliever, I would think.
0: Have you guys given any credence to the thought of, and again, I know his sample size is so small and you have to consider that he really hasn't pitched in the major leagues before 2021, since 2018, but Stephen Okert, I mean, he's looked good today. He looked good today. He really hasn't looked all that bad ever since he came over. And in the way that teams can kind of utilize a bullpen in the playoffs, I think some team would kind of find some use for that. We don't really have any like, deep emotional connection to a guy like that only because he signed on a minor league deal and obviously he's made good on the promise that you know he got back to the majors and he's pitched really well but do you think that there's anything salvageable with that either I know you know we can get into that later but <clears throat> he's somebody I'm watching and I'm like we're not competing so I don't necessarily understand the point in further rehabilitating a guy when it looks like he's figured things out he's obviously setting up his slider with this fastball really well ever since he's been back in the majors but you think there's like some smart front office, maybe like Tampa or, you know, maybe L.A. who needs some open help? clearly after what they've seen with Jansen, though uh, Oker won't be the closer that could maybe utilize his services down the run down the stretch? Yeah.
1: I, I actually thought about that today, Lewis, when I am watching him. I'm like, you know, because I'm in trade deadline mode. So I'm thinking and everybody has value. Yeah. and You know, he's been great. He's he's been really good uh, since he came up and, you, you know. Um, I, I don't see why not, you know, I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, it would make sense, you know, lefty people need lefties, but I mean, you also have to have a bullpen at some point, you know, I mean, I imagine <laughs> yeah. they they have guys waiting that they're going to call up, you know, maybe an evaled, maybe Holloway goes back to the pen. once the rotation gets a little healthier, you know, George Guzman, I think we'll get a shot in the second half at pitching in the pen, but you still do have to keep some guys. But I do think that, any, you know, any guy that gets the right offer on him should be available. No doubt. Yeah,
2: with him, what makes me, he makes me very nervous. So, if you're asking about what I would do, yeah, I would look to get something in return because he is a fly ball machine, if you look at it. And this was, yeah. it, this has been all season, even at Triple A, Triple A, he put up great numbers, so many fly balls. And if you've seen where the jumbo shrimp play and how spacious it is in center field, Um, I I think he was getting away with some mistakes and it's I think it's the same thing here in the majors where I mean the positive is that he is pounding strike zone he's not walking anybody at all Um, like that alone is a pretty big key for any sort of reliever whatsoever like he, he does some good things but I mean the bottom line is that he's this season at least uh and even before this you know early in his career he had some fly ball tendencies but they've been so extreme this year both triple a and the majors and what what teams are afraid of most is allowing home runs so if you're a guy that allows fly balls but you're not also an overwhelming swing and miss guy um then that's yeah it's just the math really hurts you there's going to be Mm -hmm. that's really the concern about it
0: in that instance you know, I, we're talking about places where Marte could go. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, you know, if the Marlins really want to trade Marte or they want a good return from a specific team. They say, hey, like, if you want Marte, then we may have to we'll throw it. You get take Steven Okert off our hands. I mean, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a hypothetical because at the end of the day, all this stuff is hypothetical until there's an agreement in place between general managers and then there's an announcement mm-hmm. by somebody on Twitter. But if we want to trade Starling Marte to the Giants and we want to get Joey Bart to be our catcher for the future because I think we've seen enough of Jorge Alfaro behind the plate, do you, maybe if the Giants, who I'm sure aren't going to say no to this additional bullpen, help bring a guy back that they have some familiarity with, put him in a bigger ballpark where he's had some success, he obviously wasn't great there, so there is a little bit of trepidation on my part, but do you think he can maybe be like a throw-in that other teams would use if they're trying to acquire big names from us?
2: Here at Stripes, we are proudly partnered with Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Use your knowledge and the site's free daily market analysis to buy low, sell high, and profit on MLB teams, NFL teams, NBA teams, and beginning in July, college football, now available on Symbol. More than 2,500 early adopters have already started to invest. Symbol.app, www.simbull.app. That's where you go to create your free account. When you make that first deposit, use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, Stripes, to get a $10 deposit bonus right away. The current Sim Marlins share price is $27.90. Symbol.app. Promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, to claim your deposit bonus and help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. Well, I think that's a good transition just to go into Marte because that's one of the big subjects that a lot of people are tuning in (laughs) for here. Uh, Our Marlins trade deadline breakdown. Starling Marte, he is he had that scary stretch i guess in the very late june and early july uh where he was he was slumping pretty badly and perfect timing for the marlins he's been exceptional as since the all-star break he's been one of the best hitters in the league since the break and he's looked exactly like the best version of himself the version you really don't want to trade away ethan you kind of tweeted out as much how much you're going to miss seeing him play every day he is it's 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 painful i mean no matter how like prepared we are for this possibility it, it is hard to replace him it is there are very few number of players that have the variety of tools that he has and like the track record that he has but we've reached this point where it does seem Pretty inevitable. Um, Not 100% guaranteed, um, but pretty damn close. I mean, there's only two games between now and the trade deadline for the Marlins because of these off days. So, I mean, knock on wood, uh, there's very little opportunity for him to get hurt uh, and for anything like that to happen. He is, this year, Uh, just to lay out the basics, earning $12.5 million. And by the time the deadline comes up, I think $4.3 million are still left. So that's not nothing. There are certain teams that uh, are going to take that into account when they acquire him. But by some standards, this has been his best offensive season. I mean, he is Mm -hmm. today, we're recording this on Sunday. He stole two more bases, 21 steals in uh, 62 games. And as a hitter, he got himself back over 300 today. Um, in, in, to, in addition to drawing walks at the best rate of his career, in addition to hitting seven home runs in, again, 60 games, that's nothing to sneeze at either for a center fielder. He's been pretty amazing uh, this season. Uh, so 8.51 and-
1: OPS, 139 way to run straight a plus. Uh, I mean, it's it just... You know, when I said I'm going to miss him playing, that's not even the fan in me speaking. That's just the baseball fan, the reporter in me speaking, where, you know, every time I get to go to the ballpark and watch the Marlins and whoever they're playing, you know, I get to watch Starlin Marte do his thing. And I get to watch him every night because I'm watching these games every night covering the team. And, you know, it's just uh, every night he does something that is, you can appreciate from a baseball perspective, whether it's he just always seems to move the runner over, get the base, get the timely base hit, drive the guy in makes the great catch in left center field last night you know it's just yeah i'm gonna miss watching him play baseball every day and uh you know, hopefully he goes to a team that i enjoy watching and uh, i can watch him some more
0: third best team average oh. as Marte hits one a
1: mile deep left center field good
2: the best estimate like some of the teams that he's been connected to so far nothing super duper strong it does not seem it seems like this is just going to go down to the wire uh that they're going to wait until deadline day to actually pull the trigger on something to actually like collect to actually get us some specific names about who the marlins are actually can get back in return and instead of just their wish list the teams he's been connected to so far off the top of my head the Giants, the Astros, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Phillies. Those are the five yeah. that have been coming up in uh, some order from from both the national guys, from Craig Misch, uh, just from speculation that those are teams that if you go through all of them, uh, the Phillies and the Yankees are kind of in an interesting spot where uh, are we even sure they're that good? Are we even sure that Marte really does much for them in terms of actually putting them in the championship conversation with the Giants, with the Astros, and with the Red Sox, they are a tier above that where, yeah, having that extra piece is very important to them. Um, all these teams being thrown out. Let's see that. I just went through. Yeah, all them very big budget teams as well. So when you're talking about that salary factor going on with Marte, I don't think uh, the only one that might like blink, when it comes to that is the Yankees just because they are right up against the luxury tax threshold and uh, their owners, despite being ridiculously wealthy, are cheap when it comes to certain things like that. So that'll be an interesting fit. Uh, Lewis, you threw out the idea of like packaging with a reliever. Uh, I think that's been kind of a common thought that that's something that would make sense just because you look at the recent track record of these big names that are pending free agents that are like exclusively rentals. And no matter if you're Manny Machado, if you're JD Martinez, if you're, it doesn't seem to be like even uh, Justin Verlander was in that position as well. Like these days, no matter what your name is and what your track record is, if you're like a pending free agent, there is this ceiling on what teams are going to give up in order to bring you in. You have to go back all the way five years to Roaldus Chapman, the last time that somebody really got like a slam dunk top prospect in return for one of these. Um, So I I guess that's something you have in mind, right? When you talk about bundling him with one of these relievers to like up that total value a little bit more and to raise the possibilities of the young talent that you could get in return.
0: And then, well that, and then with Marte though, I think he is a little bit different than obviously that's a factor that's going to exist in some form or fashion, given that, you know, most teams are going to say like, why are we going to give up an eventual six years of a, of a good everyday major league player for two months of a great player who may not be back with us. But when you look at like the center field market, I the part of, part of me genuinely thinks that whoever trades for Marte is gonna have every intention of wanting to re-sign him. And I think just when you think about the Giants, they seem to make the most sense because if you really look who's been patrolling center field for them this year, it's been a combination of like Mauricio Dubon, Who's mostly a utility infielder, Austin Slater, good defender, but the bat hasn't really showed much. Mike Talkman, who just can't seem to stay healthy. And when you look at the center field free agent market, and I was reading Tag today, and it and it's, you know, it's some of these names are guys who are still technically active players, but they're not players that are, are going to give you anything per, as far as you know decent production goes. It's guys like. Paulo Orlando, Billy Hamilton, you know, Ian Desmond's five-year contract with the Rockies is supposed to expire, but we know he's more than likely going to retire because there's absolutely nothing left in that bat, nor has there really ever been anything there defensively. And Marte is just going to be a guy where they're going to be like, you know, he's the best possible option we have. If we don't really have any true options right now in center field, you know, I want to trade for this guy, but I also want to make sure that we make every effort possible to resign them. And, and in the case that, in the context of the free agent market for that position, is just so thin, he may get four or five years from another team that are willing to overpay for two or three years of decent production when you know the back end of that is just going to look like, you know, a brown banana. It's just not going to look the way that we initially envisioned it.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see what ends up happening, you know, Lewis, like you talked about on the free agent market because. Craig Mish has said that, you know, he, he believes that Marte is going to get four years and upwards of 60, $65 million. And uh, I, I was looking at it recently and there were like five guys that got four year deals last year, you know, four plus year deals in the free agent market. And none of them have really been like the greatest contracts in the world. Um, and so I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know, with the way free agency has happened recently and with a you know possible lockout looming, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know that this guy is going to get four years, but he's definitely going to get more money than the Marlins would have offered him, you know, because they were obviously, I believe going to try and go for the hometown discount when trying to get him an extension. And um, yeah, I think a great idea, you know, uh, to, to up his value is attach a guy like Dylan Floro to him. You know, every team you look at uh, needs bullpen help, you know, uh, the, Giants are just the one that I've thought about the most because it's the one that Craig said, you know, that that's the team he's heard. And they're in the top 10 in blown saves. Uh, And we know that, you know, if the Red Sox are in it, they need help. If the Phillies are in it, they always need bullpen to help, you know, uh, Yankees uh, Astros, any of these teams can use bullpen to help. And any of these teams can use a guy like Dylan Floro. So I think, you know, if you want to get one of those, you know, big name prospects, obviously a guy like Helio Ramos has been floated or, you know, they want to go out and get a catcher. So Joey Bart is the name that's been floated. And apparently he's out there, you know, the the, the giants would be open and trading him. So that makes perfect sense for the Marlins to try and go get Joey Bart while also, you know, capitalizing on Starling Marte, but they're not going to be able to get Ramos. They're not going to be able to get Bart for just Starling Marte alone. They're going to have to attach on um, you know, a bullpen arm. And I mean, I would even attach, you know, um, one of these, maybe a pitching prospect or maybe a lower level hitting prospect. Um, you know, a guy, guy that I've floated around in trade proposals is Braxton Garrett. You know, the Marlins have seemingly have arms that have passed him by uh, in, in their, in their system. You know, Brax, we've seen him at the big league level. He had a great start last night. You know, I'm not sold completely on him at the big league level. And I think that there's still value for a team that thinks that they can get the most out of him. And so he's a guy, you know, I heard early in the year, I remember reading Mish saying that he's a guy that the Marlins, you know, would float around in trade proposals. So I think, a, te- you know, the Marlins got to capitalize on Marte in any way they can and you know they're not going to be able to get what they should for him just because of the way the market has worked recently you know he's a guy with an 850 OPS and 130 something weighted runs career plus you know at 32 years old center fielder obviously is a rental but maybe a team feels like they can get you know get a good start on extending him or they have a good chance at extending him you know you should be able to get a haul for that guy but it just doesn't happen that way in in baseball anymore and so i absolutely believe that you know, especially when you're talking about San Francisco and the way their bullpen, you know, they just don't have that much talent out there. Um, I think that, you know, that could be a very promising proposal for both teams um, because they desperately need center field help and the Marlins. You know, they have things that would interest the Marlins impact uh, prospect bats that are fairly close to the major league level.
2: So so is that your your prediction? I I love to do predictions. So with this, I threw out the five teams that he's most connected to could be a mystery team. So I'll give you, those are your choices. One of those five teams, uh, Giants, Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, Phillies, or mystery team, uh, for Starling Marte. Are you going to go with the Giants?
1: I I think that's the, I think that's the best suitor for, you know, I think both teams can make a trade that, you know, both teams would be interested in and also, you know, Mish is really good at this stuff and that's the team that he's heard, you know, he's closer to the Marlins. And I think a lot of some, you know, some of the national reporters might be obviously, you know, uh, some of the national reporters might be hearing from the Philly side, from this side, from the other side, but it seems like the Marlins and the Giants have mutual interest in a deal here. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think as of now, you know, it, things can heat up we could get off the podcast and all of a sudden things are really heating up with Houston or something. But I think as of now, the the destination that makes the most sense is San Francisco.
0: It's funny, though. I mean, we, we talk. So obviously, San Francisco is not in our division that play on another coast. But I was looking at alternative scenarios beyond San Francisco, which, you know, I think is further crystallizing as we speak because there's just things that they have and there's things that we have that are attractive on both sides. You know, I think a Houston and I think Miles Straw has done an adequate job there. He's rocking the 340 on base. You know, he's playing good defense. And for what they have right now with guys like, you know, Altuve hitting the way that he has Correa hitting when he has. Obviously, Correa struggled a little bit lately. You know, you got Bregman coming back. Their offenses, they're on pace to be one of the greatest offenses of all time, you know, trash can or not. But then you also have, you know, I look at the Phillies and I look at their production at the center field position. And, you know, they tried to, they tried to do Herrera out there again, for some reason, Roman Quinzel has a major league job. I believe they're 24th and way to run traded plus at that position, which again, it's not good. It's, you know, you're in the bottom six or seven of major league teams. Marte would be an upgrade there. But the question is, you know, with Dave Dombrowski there who in a sense, you know, Dave Dombrowski, as we know, it's his first deadline with the Phillies. We know because he was at one point, the GM for the Marlins, we know through his years in Detroit, Montreal, and Boston that he's not afraid to overhaul the farm system if he thinks he can get a piece that he knows is going to help us win. The question is, you know, I don't know how much each of us have perused the Phillies, you know, top prospect rankings. What Are we, are we going to get somebody like a prospect and say Spencer Howard in return? Is Mickey Moniak going to be a name that's thrown in there? You know, like not a name at this point that I think merits any like really real excitement he was a former number one overall pick in 2017 or 2018 but you know with what he's done at the minor league level and his uh, cup of coffee to major leagues it's nothing impressive but i still think that they're definitely a team who you know could benefit from our services and again we let's not forget the marlins have traded within the division before we obviously acquired omar infante from the Braves and we traded dan ugla You know, we're not strangers to this. Josh Willingham, I believe. Yeah, well, and
2: and just a little bit more recent, Real Muto to the Phillies. That was only two and a half years ago. So um, I'll jump in because that... That's exactly where I was going to go with it was the Phillies. That's going to be my prediction. I would boil it down to the Phillies or the Giants, um, but the Dombrowski factor is a huge one. The fact that he has for like 15 years, um, especially uh, since we going back to the start of the Detroit tenure, that he's been so aggressive uh, at the deadline, uh, unafraid to trade away from prospect depth, like um, kind of unconcerned about how his prospect his farm system is ranked. He does not mind going after these type of rentals, Uh, despite where they are like hovering around the 500 mark as they have been all year. The top of their rotation is just so good. And um, the individual star power that they have at like half of their positions uh, on the position player side is so strong that I, I can understand where they see a path to like sneaking ahead of the Mets, winning the division. As you laid out their center field has been pretty messy Um, In in terms of like having the budget to acquire Marte, I don't think that's a problem. I I did do a little due diligence on like who would match up with them in a Phillies trade. And I think probably a guy that would be in the middle of that is Bryson Stott, who was our first round pick in 2019. He's a middle infielder uh, this year. He, at high A, he was OPSing a thousand. He got promoted to Double A, and since then, he's been pretty clearly above league average at Double A as well. Even being kind of young for that level, you know. Just to compare, that's the same draft as JJ Bliday, and he's a guy that was drafted ten picks later than Bliday, and to this point, has definitely outperformed him at a more up the middle position. Um, so with him. I think he's a guy that makes a lot of sense as a centerpiece with that. Although there's so many like scenarios for how this could go down. Uh, as I said, I boiled it down to the Phillies and the giants. If it's the giants, uh, when I saw Mish uh, kind of link them in that article, um, I, I think that info came from the Marlin side saying, you know, we would really love some of these giants hitting prospects, Helio Ramos, or whether it's Joey Bart, et etc. Um, to me, I think that gap is kind of too big between Marte's value and their value, that even if you package things together, I don't think that's working out but I think they understand that the giants really like Marte. If he goes to the giants, I think there's a really decent chance. It's a three team trade that he Mm -hmm. goes to the giants. The Marlins get prospects that are realistic for rental, uh, from another team that there's another team that maybe they match up better with who that team could be. Uh, it could be anybody really, um, that'd be willing to give up a couple key prospects in return. Um, So I would not be surprised by the Giants. I would lean towards the Phillies, and we know that you know from that history that they're not afraid to do business inside the division.
1: I think when they traded JT, they were just trying to get the best deal for JT because they weren't in a position where they were like, okay, you know, we're going to compete, and maybe they're obviously not going to compete this year. But you don't really want to open the door for Starling Marte on the Phillies for the next four years, you know. And so I kind of think the Marlins are looking at this in a different perspective where they're not really they might not be as content with trading in the division as they were when they traded JJ Ramuto. Maybe they think, okay, we'll trade him. He'll go there and, you know, go on his merry way. But I just think, you know, I think the Marlins will be a little more cautious about it this time. And um, I think, I don't know. You know, the Phillies are absolutely going to be aggressive. You know, and they're only four games out. We know this division has been tight. We know they struggled and they have big money locked up in some of their big names, you know, Harper and Real Muto and Wheeler. So they're going to have to go for it pretty much every year. You know, they don't have excuses to not go for it. And they're right there. So they'll definitely go for it. And it wouldn't surprise me if they acquired Starling Marte at all.
0: Even what? as like somebody who doesn't actively, I mean, you know, we're baseball fans. So regardless of our our kinship to which team that we follow on a daily basis. So we're, you know, we all of us have somewhat of a at least a rudimentary knowledge of what each team is doing and what their plan is going forward. You know, I think Marte in the short term would definitely be an upgrade, but in the long term you may handicap them because if you're committing more dollars when to another to another position player in who's, you know, Bryce Harper is only 28, but when you, That's you know, if you commit more money to Marte, you commit $50, 60000000 million to Marte and guys like Aaron Nola are nearing free. Obviously, he's on a very team-friendly deal now. And, you know, say they get some pitching in a couple of years or they come up with some relievers that wind up, you know, being effective for them. Obviously, two things that have been quite a struggle for them. It's going to kind of be hard for them to want to do anything with that moving forward as far as extending those guys is concerned because you have money tied up in Marte. But again, too, like, you know, not all teams look at this is, you know, like I'm sure when the Dodgers acquired Manny Machado, there wasn't really any any real inclination that they wanted to keep him beyond that year. They were trying to go back to a World Series after losing a heartbreaker in 2017 to Houston, and Machado was a good r- resource to help them do that. That being said, you know, I'd be I I'd have some trepidation if I were the Phillies about extending Marte long term, but sh- in the short term, I think it makes sense. It's really it all just come. We're not in the heads of Dombrowski and everybody in that front office, so. You know who's to say what exactly they're thinking if they're pondering that trade any further than we're talking about right now.
2: So we've covered almost all the relievers and we've covered Marte. Is there anybody else in that veteran bucket? Um, I think we, we'll we cover most of them, but pending free agents or guys that are like a year away uh, that you think has a pretty good shot at getting traded at the deadlines. So at this point, it's mostly all the position players, right? Everybody from Sandy Leone and Joe Panic to Miguel Rojas and Jesus Aguilar and uh, Adam yep, Duvall as well. Is there anybody from that handful that... that yeah,
1: that's that's the name go? I think is most likely, you know, beyond beyond Starling Marte and the bullpen pieces to get traded is uh, Adam Duvall. He, he would make a team really happy with just the way he can drive the ball out of the ballpark. You know, if a team needs a power surge in their lineup or a run producer, you know, he's obviously not going to hit for very high average, get on base a ton, But he's going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And, you know, if you're a team that in the last 60 games or so, you need a guy that's going to give you anywhere from 10 to 15, if he gets really hot, you know, 10 home runs to 15 home runs. And you want to, you think that'll get you over the line into the playoffs. And then into the playoffs, you know, you need that big bopper in the lineup and a guy that could get hot and have a crazy playoff run like Adam Duvall. uh, That would make sense for a lot of teams, I think. And I think they can get pretty good value for him. You know, he has that mutual option, so it might be tough for a team to keep him around past next year, but Mish has kind of speculated on what they'll do. It's an interesting situation because he could be a pretty big part of their lineup next year if they want to keep him around, if they, you know, feel confident that the mutual option would be agreed to, and he could also, you know, be a veteran that you can get a lot of um, assets for at the deadline or you know you can not trade him and he could leave in free and go to free agency and sign somewhere else so it's a very interesting situation about what to do with Duvall but I think where the Marlins are at you feel pretty confident you know if you feel pretty confident in the outfield depth that you have or your ability to go out and get outfield depth I think that moving on from Duvall is a is an option that makes sense
0: for a team like Oakland, 20 to 25 home runs and gold glove caliber corner outfield defense, where you can move Mark Canada out left field and you can keep obviously have Ramon Loriano who's a star in center field. And you can throw a guy like Duvall out there, a different look in that lineup that features, you know, semi patient hitters like Matt Olson and Canna and Loriano and all those guys. That's a team that could possibly use them. We know they have a wealth of pitching and the way that they can, you know, cycle through guys and you know. They're a team that is relatively conservative when it comes to giving money to free agents. But for rentals, I don't think they'd have a problem doing that. It would definitely help offset some of this subpar offense they've gotten at shortstop you know, with Elvis Andrews. And if we want to talk about another guy, that's actually a nice little facilitator for this next point. I want to talk about Miguel Rojas. I was thinking about teams today that could use a shortstop. And some of the contenders, they really have that position locked down. But Oakland is a team that, you know, maybe they don't pick up Rojas's five and a half million dollar option for next season. But when you look at what Elvis Andrews is making and then you consider the fact that, you know, shortstops in Oakland this season have a 68 weighted runs created plus or I'm sorry, a 53 weighted runs created plus, which is 29th in the majors. And Elvis Andrews is 32% below league average offensively with a 234 batting average, 276 on base. Miguel Rojas presents an obvious upgrade. He's a slightly above average offensive player. The defense is doing, you know, looks like it continues to be great as it's been for the majority of his career, plus four defensive runs saved. I think, I mean, depends on, you really don't know what you're going to get for trading a guy you know, like Rojas, who is 31, 32 years old. So, you know, once you get beyond 30, it's almost like you're damaged goods. But he presents an upgrade for a team like Oakland. He could make sense as a rental for a team like the Baltimore Orioles. I know, obviously, they're not going to compete this year. But if you look at Freddie Galvis, he's a below average offensive player. The defense has never been great. He's making a million and a half dollars. I don't know if they want to commit $4 million additional money to a guy that's going to be above average and maybe add another win or two for them than Galvis would. But it's a slight upgrade. I mean, I was watching when the Marlins signed Corey Dickerson in 2019 in the offseason. Joel Sherman kind of said, like, even if you don't make the playoffs, signing this guy, if you want to get better, get better. And Dickerson made us marginally better last year, even if he wasn't a great offensive contributor, even if the defense wasn't there. It's just kind of like a clubhouse thing, which goes beyond the numbers. And we could talk about that another day. But obviously, Rojas brings that intangible of being a natural leader, a guy that can get the attention of the clubhouse who's been there before he's played in California before, obviously he came up with the Dodgers. I think he makes sense in Oakland, you know, no team would be too upset with him. The Yankees could possibly trade for him because really Gleyber Torres hasn't hit. You can move him to second, move him to first. We don't know when Luke Voit's going to be back. So again, it's all about just looking at mm. scenarios in which guys can fit into another team's world. And you know, the Yankees wouldn't have a problem paying five and a half million for a guy like Miguel Rojas, who, you know, can he's shown that he is a solid player. If he's a 750 OPS guy in New York, better than what we've been seeing with Gleyber Torres, he makes all the sense in the world there. And you translate a 103 weighted runs created plus in Miami to New York, and you're looking at a guy that could be like a dark horse, silver slugger candidate. I'm not saying he's going to win one, and I'd probably get a tattoo of Miguel Rojas on one of my body parts if that actually happened. But he makes sense in a lot of places, and I don't think it's like the most far-fetched thing in the world to see him – going to Southern California, going to New York and shaving the facial hair and, you know, helping the Yankees.
1: Yeah, the Rojas thing is fascinating because he could be valuable in so many places, but to the Marlins, what he, to me at least, what he brings and, and how valuable he is to this team is more valuable than probably anything they could get in return for Miguel Rojas. And you kind of have to weigh those things against each other. You know, when you look at it, he's obviously the captain of the team. He's a, you know, above average offensive player he's a you know great defensive player gold glove candidate at short stay shortstop in the national league um you know when you talk about oakland like they just screwed up so bad not starting signing marcus Semyon. i mean that was right there in yeah. front of them and they just absolutely blew that completely but i just think with the marlins and you know mish has said that he thinks that rojas is here to stay and i think that's the best for him that's the best for the team as well but it is fascinating where if you get the right call for miguel rojas and you know, he kind of said, you know, if the team thinks that the best thing for them to do is trade me, then trade me. And uh, that's how much he loves the Miami Marlins. And I wouldn't rule out, you know, under all the Chapman situation with him, I definitely would rule it out with Marte, but you know, with how much he loves this organization, you know, if the Marlins, you know, if they trade him and, and the team that, you know, he he goes to, doesn't want to bring him back, I would not be surprised, you know, if the Marlins give him a call and he's right back in Miami next year. But I, I, I don't personally see Rojas getting traded. I mean, that's just, you know, based off, I, I never really saw it in the first place. You know, when we talked to Kim uh, um, a little while, uh, I think it was after the Corey Dickerson trade, you know, Mish asked her straight up, do you see Miguel Rojas on the team next year? And she said, yes. Um, and now Mish is reporting, you know, they can't really get a lot for Rojas. They can't really get a lot for Aguilar. So those two look like the veterans that are going to stay. But I mean, and, you know, I, like I said, you know, anybody on this team, except maybe jazz, Trevor, Sandy, Edward Cabrera, maybe. And, and, you exactly. know, you want to talk about, you want to talk about one of the two of the arms, you know, I think everybody could be up for sale at the right price. Um, and, and should be because, you know, the Marlins got to get better for 2022. I think that a lot of fans are going to want to see an at least 80 win 85 win team in 2022, maybe not a playoff team, but they're going to have to start winning ballgames and, um, In order to do that, you know, you got to give value to get value. And uh, so I I think that, you know, at that point, if you see a trade that you think makes you better in 2022, even if it's giving up a guy that you might not want to give up right now, then, you know, if if it does it at the right price, then I think anybody should be for sale.
2: I wanted to mention one more thing on rojas i don't think people are aware of because you did mention his overall stats offensively being like above league average and how that's pretty impressive but do people realize that he is like the best hitter against left-handed pitching in the majors over the last two years like the best he is hitting like 390 against lefties Since the start of 2020, he's OPSing over a thousand. Like you, uh, I think the WRC plus is like 180 or something like that. He has more walks and strikeouts. So when you talk about why other teams would be interested in him, it's, I don't think it's so much about the overall numbers. I'd say that just like any team because of his versatility and because of those numbers against lefties that like any team could have him in the lineup has a fit for him because of that versatility and because of how he does in those particular matchups, is he going to continue hitting at that level against lefties? No, but the fact that he's done it now back to back seasons, like it gives you some evidence to believe that he is for whatever reason, just seeing the ball great against them. And that, especially relative to other middle infielders, you know, when the expectations offensively are a little lower than other positions, that he's going to help you, you win no matter what, Uh, from here we're gonna flip the script. We're gonna look at, we're gonna follow up on what Craig Mish reported on swings and misses. I have a quote for you. I have it all quoted out just so that there's no misunderstanding, because I feel like there has been some misunderstanding about what he said. He said, quote, a big move is coming. They are trying to upgrade that center field position for next year. They have recognized that they need a new catcher for next year. Whatever is required to fill those positions next week or even in the winter has got to be done. So he did not commit that they're going to make this big move at the deadline. Uh, I think there's that expectation. We're all missing
1: the fact that he said, or in the winter, because I think everybody's expecting a move right now. And um, you know, we could end up being disappointed, but that's funny. Yeah.
2: yeah, There must be, those conversations going on that they have Absolutely. those big targets. We could get some of those targets right now about those controllable players in center field and that catcher that they could be trying to acquire right now this is, there's no guarantee. It's going to come together this week because when you acquire a controllable up the middle young player on an affordable deal, those guys cost a ton uh, of prospect capital to acquire and it's hard to hammer out those type of deals in just a matter of days because we're kind of running out of time even though this stuff can move very quickly towards the end i don't think a team that's on the other side of that deal and giving up you know potential up the middle uh cornerstone player is going to rush into a deal when they there's no urgency to do so Mm. so with that uh (laughs) There are some names. I guess we'll start with center field. To me, it's a really short list of who these guys are that could fit that bolt that could be a successor to Starling Marte in center field. Uh, To you, who are those names, Ethan, that come to mind to you that could make sense, that could be these targets that the Marlins are trying to get to fill that void uh, the rest of this year, or especially for 2022?
1: I have four names. So two of them were the names that Craig said. Uh, Byron Buxton and Cedric Mullins, Cedric Mullins, Cedric Mullins. Uh, the third one is Brian Reynolds. I think Jeremy said it on the podcast. And then the fourth one is Cattell Marte. And that's a player I absolutely love. I adore Cattell Marte. Yeah. Position versatility, you know, he can play second base, he can play center. Uh, I think he even played some shortstop. You know, this is a guy that can play all over the diamond, and he's been a great hitter for the Diamondbacks. And the Diamondbacks are in desperation mode. Um, you know, they kind of we're building this great farm and then all of a sudden it kind of went away and, um, you know, I, and we all know where they're, they're at, they're in the cellar and they're one of the worst teams we've seen recently. Um, and I just think they could be in just, you know, give everything away mode. And we've seen the Marlins and Diamondbacks make two trades at the last two deadlines, you know, uh, jazz, obviously. And then they obviously got Marte from them last year. So um, I, I I would love the Cattell Marte acquisition. You know, you'd look at the, at Brian Reynolds, and he's performing a little better than Adam Frazier, but you know the Pirates just took a return that people might not think is the greatest return for Adam Frazier. And so all of a sudden you look at Brian Reynolds. What can we, you know, what would we have to give up for Brian Reynolds? And um, you know, the fact of the matter is that. Um, you know the Marlins need to make an impact acquisition. They need to make an impact acquisition at center field, at catcher, whatever the case may be. They need to make a, a, a you know an impact acquisition, and I think that Brian Reynolds is as good as it gets um, when it comes to impact acquisitions. Um, you know they have Jacob Stallings as well. You know I'm not saying that a, a trade to get both of those guys would be crazy, but you know I think that um, you're talking about you know, two really good players that you could get from Pittsburgh, talk to them about guys and, you know, Brian Reynolds. I mean, look, we know about the pitching surplus in the Marlins organization, and you would absolutely have to tap into that to get a guy like Brian Reynolds. And Jake Eater is a name I would throw. Um, You know, I would even be willing to throw Max Meyer. Um, You know, I don't think he's untouchable. I think if you want to talk about an untouchable pitching prospect, I would go with Edward Cabrera, Um, you know, but Eater certainly, I think, you know, as great as he's been, I would kind of lean towards trading him over trading Meyer. And I think that he is a guy that could headline, you know, he's been maybe the best pitcher in minor league baseball this year. He's a guy that could absolutely headline a package. And then you'd also have to give up, you know, some guys, maybe like a Cam Meisner or one of these athletic projectable outfielders that you have, maybe the pirates feel like they can get them hitting a little more. Um, But man, uh, you know, when, when Craig says something like that, it gets the juices flowing, it gets you really excited. And it's good to see that the Marlins recognize the problems that they have they're ready to go out and address them, you know. Maybe um, a, you know, Mitch Garver is a catcher name that could be out there. Um, you know, Joey Bart. Obviously, if you want to talk about, you know, we talked earlier about the Giants trade and how it could be mutually beneficial for both teams. You know, you talk about the the Jazz trade; it worked out for both teams. You know, the Diamondbacks got Gallon and the Marlins got Jazz. You could be looking at the you know the Marlins getting Bart and the the Giants getting Marte, but I think you would have to really up the value from the Marlins side to get a guy like Bart, but there's a lot of options out there. But I think the most important thing is people want to see a commitment to win. And I feel like a lot of people didn't see that commitment to win when Marte wasn't extended. And now, you know, you hear that right after, you know, you, you hear that that sentiment coming out right after Marte is not extended, you hear, okay, this team, they realize the problems they have. They realize what needs to be addressed. They're going to try and be aggressive in going out and addressing it. And I think that, people you know that's positive a positive sign for fans about the fact that this team is committed to winning
0: I like you know obviously love all of those suggestions I've got a couple of other guys in mind obviously like Kitel Marte if the Diamondbacks fail to trade him and pull the same blunder that Baltimore did when they didn't deal Manny Machado a year before he hit free agency to at least get a little bit more in prospect capital back I think you know, they they're going to deeply regret that. I was looking at a name. He's young, but he's in his small sample his 95 game that he's been at the big league level. I've actually been kind of impressed with him. And that's Pavin Smith also of Arizona. I like him. I think he presents some pos- positional versatility. He could play center field. He can play the corners. He's even played a little bit of first base in the major leagues. Maybe a, like a big name, if you're if you're talking about Ethan, a deal where we give up a big name pitching prospect, and I know Oakland likes to swoop those guys up the same way they did Frankie Montas, James Caprellian, Ramon Larriano would be great if you trade a Max Meyer, you know, include him in a package deal. So Adolis Garcia, because I don't necessarily know what the Rangers are going to be doing in the coming years. He's played good defense in center field. He was uncertain before this season, but he showed that he can legitimately hit for power. And I think you're, you know, if you can hit for power in, in a state like Texas, especially in a new ballpark, we don't that we don't have a lot of data on. I, I, you know, I'm firmly a believer that you know that may translate to Miami. If you want to talk about getting a catcher and you're not wanting to give up too much, Dalton Varsha with Arizona is another name because he also presents the ability to play center field. Not that he's going to be constantly going back and forth. We're going to need stability in that position yeah. at some point.
2: Yeah. Kill two birds with one stone. Get the one guy that yeah, plays but... both center field and catcher.
0: <laughs> I, I think there's a rule where you're not allowed to play with less than nine guys on the field anyway. So I don't know how that would work if you were uh, doing, pulling a satchel page, bringing the outfielders in, but you know, Cedric Mullins, I think is controllable. We're starting to see after last or with this season that, you know, he can sustain this for longer than just half a season. He's a direct replacement for Marte, obviously. He hits for a little bit more power. And you may lose a little bit of that going from Camden Yards to Loan Depot. But at the end of the day, you know, it's all about really replacing value with value. Like you said, Eden, you got to trade value to get value. Obviously, where nobody's training Marte to the Orioles. But, you know, if you can get a guy like Mullins and give them pitching, which they really need, we haven't really seen them develop much pitching in the early stages of this rebuild in Baltimore, you know, why not? But guys like Brian, Brian Reynolds to me, like you talked about him earlier. I think Brian Reynolds is the next coming of like Nick Marquegas. He's just going to consistently hit 290. He'll hit 300 a couple of years, 180 to 200 hits, 15, 20 home runs, a little bit more power, obviously, than Marquegas, but he's just a consistent guy. Does he stick in center field long-term? I don't know. I think he more profiles in the corner. And when you have guys like Griffin Conine who've been raking at the lower levels of the minors, the kind of like Messiah hope that we hope Lede becomes like a savior in right field for us in two or three years when he's firmly entrenched in the major leagues, it's like another name that we have, but you know, there, I think Kim is very smart. The front office, Gary Denbo, all those scouting people, they know what they're doing. You know, if Craig is, you know, speaking truth and we do go out and get a center fielder, I do think it's going to be somebody that is going to be an impact, but let's, can we talk a little bit more about catching? Because, you know, you, you, Ethan, you mentioned Jacob Stallings. I like Jacob Stallings I think he's a very productive big leaguer, especially in a, in a franchise. That's not, obviously they don't have a sense of direction right now. Pittsburgh doesn't know what they're doing moving forward. They did just draft a catcher with the first overall pick Stallings is 30. So I don't know what that's going to do to a team like us that's burgeoning in a rebuild. And we're starting to show some positive signs Mm -hmm. that there's maybe going to be some light behind the clouds, but what are some other catchers that you guys have maybe been like thinking about internally that may fit for us beyond a Jacob Stallings, maybe a Mitch Garver, like you said, I had a crazy trade today. And I didn't, and the fact that I'm even mentioning it makes me want to just like shut my camera off and go hide under my blanket completely. But if the Yankees really need a center fielder, and I understand he's hitting for them right now,
1: Gary Sanchez, are you yeah. gonna say Gary Sanchez? As,
0: as weird as that sounds, because I still think there's something to salvage there. I don't think he's for Alfaro, far out, but could you imagine the reaction that would go on around baseball yeah. if we swapped our center fielder? Marte's gonna be owed, like, like you said, uh, Eli, four million dollars for the remainder of the season. If we got Gary Sanchez as like a rental, not even like a reclamation because he's got a 119 OPS plus right now, but even as just like a conversation piece for my, I mean, in sports, whether it's good or bad, you know what that would do. It it would at least give us a catcher that can offensively do something. But the glove again is just incredibly questionable.
2: Yeah, uh, on Gary. I mean, he was someone that I guess if you go back, what two and a half years ago to the first real Muto rumors, I think there was a, at one point some sort of traction as to maybe not a one for one trade, but like a three team trade where the Marlins would get Gary and uh, the Mets would get Real Muto, um, and all he, he's gonna he's one of the most polarizing players in baseball, which is what happens when you play for the Yankees for a bunch of years and the Yankees don't even make it to the world series when you're like the one common piece that's like been there year after year after mm-hmm. year. And for whatever reason, they don't get over the hump, you become a scapegoat. So I, I, with him, yeah, he's really unusual case. I I wouldn't really give much thought to, to that. The one, I guess one of the dream names that the Marlins could kind of shoot for, I don't even know exactly how this matches up though, is if they can somehow pry Cabert Ruiz from the Dodgers is the one that's been knocking on the door for, for a couple of years because Mm -hmm. they, they have, I mean, they have a great situation in the majors right now with Will Smith, at least offensively. I mean, we saw even very recently in the Marlins series that Will Smith has some really big defensive questions. And if you wonder if their master plan in LA is that beginning next year, they shift Smith to their DH and backup catcher and they just make Ruiz their primary catcher. I think that's what the Dodgers are thinking themselves That being said, I mean, they're the defending world champs. They need to think about winning every single year and getting a championship every single year. I don't think the pieces really align with that. Uh, I mean, if we go to this report from Joel Sherman of the New York Post, he wasn't really reporting this. He was just kind of uh, suggesting that the Marlins seriously keep an open mind about trading one of their big three starting pitchers, whether it's Pablo or Trevor or um, Sandy, to a team like the Dodgers. And that they'd be able to get in return, like our huge package that includes Ruiz, uh, Gavin Lux, and even more than that. Um, it, would have, it would be a really odd uh, configuration to make that work. I just feel like that's kind of the type of player that you'd be looking at. Um, we've mentioned a couple times already that Joey Bart is that name that's been floating around because he had that amazing draft pedigree. And he's already been in the majors. Uh, he's knocking on the door again. He seems like he's blocked with the Giants. And yet his value overall is a little bit down from where Ruiz is. So he seems like more realistic. Um, but yeah, this is this is just like my personal taste. Is like I like Ruiz's hitting profile a little bit better. Like I trust him to make more, more contact in the majors. That we just see so many of these really productive minor league players um, that – even though they tear the cover off the ball in the high minors, especially in triple a, it does not mean anything. And I fear that because we've already seen Bart in the majors for an extended stretch last year, and he just he was not a really good hitter. Um, that, that little sample I weigh that even more heavily than what he's doing in the minors this year. So for me, I'm someone that's, I'm really low on Bart. I understand why other people are into it. And I feel like uh, there's a certain price where you have to take a flyer on that type of guy. Um, to me, Yeah. To me, he's, he's not like a super, I I don't love it though. For me personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a huge investment in him. um, That, but I would go down the list of, you know, again, like all the biggest catching prospects out there that are either in double A or triple A. I I think that's something we'll do on the site in the coming days is really like digging into all those guys um, to like make an educated guess about whose bat will translate to the next level. Um, As much as we want to prioritize, the defensive side, the intangible side of being a catcher. I mean, the bottom line is the Marlins are held back by the fact that they're getting no offense from that position as well. None.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing I think the Marlins have to do at this deadline is to really excite the fans in a way is they got to get impact bats at the higher levels of the minor leagues. You know, no more of no more arms, We have, they got enough arms, you know, the the fans, I think they've seen enough pitching prospects come in. I think they're tired of pitching prospects and they're tired of, you know, low a hitters that, you know, high strikeout rates. You need guys that are performing. They're putting up high OPS numbers or, you know, they've got good minor league numbers, you know. We brought over Lewin. That was great. Fans were really excited about that one. And I think fans are still excited about Lewin. Jazz had his question marks, but fans were really excited, you know, when they brought Jazz over. And I think the Marlins have to go for a similar kind of trade here where they've got to get it, you know, and obviously you talk about getting a guy like Buxton Mullins, whatever, whatever, you know, the Marlins have to get some kind of impact bat that will make noise in the major leagues as soon as possible.
0: A little bit more on Bart, Eli, before we get to what Ethan was talking about as far as acquiring a bat that's going to play not only now, but in the coming years, when this team is hopefully, you know, bearing more fruitful fruits. I think there's still some, some meat on the bones of the fact that Joey Bart is a first round pick and he's kind of been listed as the, in the heir to the Buster Posey throne in San Francisco. And obviously like his numbers in college, he's hit, he's hit a little bit in the minor leagues and, with what he did in the majors last year, given that Posey opted out of the season. And it was really just like a weird audition for Bart and he didn't impress. That's one thing, although the defense we've seen is already elite. So that would immediately present an upgrade over a guy like, you know, Alfaro. I honestly like we've talked about Sandy Leon being traded as much as he's pretty much just you know, a standing stick at the plate with providing little to no offensive value. I don't see anything in the way of him being a valuable offensive contributor, but I don't want to lose, you know, I don't want to lose a guy like Sandy Leon who's contributed to the pitching staff the way that he has. I believe, I forgot whose graphic was put on Twitter the other day, but it was a compare contrast of pitcher ERAs with Sandy Leon compared to Jorge Alfaro. And for the most part, most pitchers pitched better with a guy like Leon there. I think, not having Leon there, in whatever role in which he's with our team, would greatly hinder the development of guys like Trevor Waters, who have greatly attributed their success to guys like Sandy, and kind of just making it a lot easier back there for them.
1: Yeah, he's a good backup catcher, Sandy. He, you know, he's a good right. backup catcher.
2: Uh, as good as he has been, it, it feels like there's there's more than one good backup catcher out there. Um, when you just look at the previous year, Francisco Cervelli, they were able to find coming off. Uh, a bad year and and people loved him. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is kind of connecting to the earlier topic, but I wouldn't really be shocked if Sandy. Sandy Leon does get traded um, coming up as, as much as the Marlins pitchers really like him. um, He's someone that also contending teams put some value on regardless of whether he's, he's hitting or not. If they feel that, um, that he could be that extra like push they need down the stretch that he could sync up really well with their current arms like I wouldn't be shocked to see him moved and the Marlins actually like getting something in return for him just because of how much that little factor plays into it. Um, It's just, he's been such a bad hitter going back for years and years. Um, He had that amazing stretch with the Red Sox out of nowhere. And then like for the last four years he's been you could pull it up he's been right down there at the very bottom in terms of all hitters in baseball that in terms of the guys that actually get steady opportunities which really just limits his role quite a bit when it comes to that but it's yeah it's interesting man um because yeah in this system right now there's um they, they of course made this really splashy draft pick uh, in joe mack just a few days ago and they finally signed him Officially, but if you're being generous, you know he's in the big leagues three years from now. That's being really generous, and it's probably right. closer to four, four and a half until he actually gets up here. Um, and some of these other guys at the higher levels really mixed results um, to this point. Uh, with, I guess I'll throw out the name of of Nick Fortes, who just got called up to a AAA, even if it's very temporarily. Um, he's someone that they'll really want to find out about. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually gets called up to the majors at the very end of this year, just because he's coming up on his rule five draft eligibility. Um, He's got to be put on the roster anyway, the 40 man roster. So he's a guy that they could like put in, uh, they could figure out what they have in him. Uh, But the question is whether they, um, they don't want to wait, whether they are, they can lock in on one of these guys that are kind of out there uh, that are ready in another organization that you feel more confident in what ready to make that really big investment in. Uh, It's, it's definitely a possibility. Uh, I I did want to remind people again that like that possibility of it happening, it doesn't necessarily mean it will happen at this deadline. It could be something that waits until the off season. Um, But in terms of things that they could do at the deadline, uh, I think Ethan, you you touched on it, how you, you want to, emotionally kind of salvage this season with the fan base. And you want to continue moving this like on a a path. You want to give people a reason to believe that this isn't a step back, that this is still part of that same progression they've been making the last, you know, three and a half, four years.
1: And, and Jeter kind of said it, you know, I, Christina put out an article and I think Jordan did as well, you know, with the quote where he talks about, you know, at the last deadline, you got Marte and at the last deadline, you know, we got, Jazz and Lewin and Jesus, and we've, you know, he, he's our team. We'll go to, you know, a team and we're going to make the same moves that we feel like will improve the team. And it's got to be major league help. You know, at some point, it's it has to be on the field. And I think the Marlins will have a good chance in this get boxed in or over reynolds or um a bard or somebody cut the future on this 22 on the and say, you know hey, this is for role these are the guys you're gonna be partnering with. i should you know note that all these guys come with question mark says so, you know wasn't A great hitter in the minor leagues, but he's having a great year. You know, he doesn't have the best track record. Joey Bart hasn't been great in the major leagues, but he's hit like crazy in the minors, really minor. So that's certainly encouraging. He's putting up great numbers in AAA this year. Buxton can't stay healthy. Brian Reynolds, you know, is this a one-off season where he's hitting 312 with a 992 as earlier in 18 home runs? You know, is that a one-off season? Is is that sustainable? Cattell Marte might cost a lot. You know, he might be really expensive. So all these guys come with question marks and all of them come with track record questions, I think. But at the end of the day, you know, the the effort will be rewarded, I think, for the Marlins in terms of just a fan base standpoint. They will applaud an effort to get better. They will appreciate that the Marlins are trying to win. You know, there have been questions about whether this organization is actually trying to win. And, you know, at one a couple of weeks ago, it looked bleak. But all of a sudden you look at the fact that, okay, they gave Starling Marte an improved offer and really it came down to he wanted four years and they wanted three years. And now all of a sudden they're looking to make a splashy acquisition for 2022 because they realize, you know, they, that there's nothing to replace Starling Marte and they've got nothing to catch her. You know, and nobody really has the problem with catcher is nobody really has anything with catcher. It's such a depleted offense. You know, it's such a void when it comes to offense where there's just not a lot of good offensive catchers unless you have a guy like J.J. Uto or, you know, one of the top catchers in the league. So, you know, taking a flyer on a young catcher is is promising in terms of the perception it gives you but it might not pay off. You know, Jorge Alfaro was a promising young catcher once, and he hasn't just hasn't been able to hit at the major league level. And, um, you know, there, there are concerns with every player, but at the end of the day, you know, at some point you got to start taking some risks and it's enough with the stockpiling prospects. Um, And it's time to use some of that. You know, we've seen them use that pitching stockpile before to go out and, and improve. Um, And I think this is another great chance for the Marlins to do that. And, um, you know, from all reports and what it seems, it seems that the Marlins are going to do that.
2: It, well, I'm glad you brought up Alfaro one last time because it's a shortcut for people to say, oh, we need, we really want a top 100 prospect. That Like that seems to be the threshold a lot of people really love to be one of the top 100 ranked prospects in baseball. I'm not sure if people realize this, but Alfaro more or less set a record. You know, he was a top 100 guy for five straight years when he was in the ranger system when he was in the philly system uh, across like multiple outlets across like baseball america and pipeline in 2012 and 2013 2014 2015 2016, and you could look it up like all these lists are still up there and he, he's a guy that no matter what he did in the minors like it was encouraging enough that he like stayed on those lists and that just doesn't guarantee anything like there's just a different like brendan
1: rogers like Brandon Rogers has been yep. on, the, on the top 100 list since like 2015. I think he finally just graduated recently and he's done, you know, he hasn't done much and it's, you know, that's, I'm at fault of it. I did it with the Padres trade and the Pirates thing. You know, I said, Oh, they, you know, the Pirates only got one top 30 guy from the Padres organization and, you know, no top 100 prospects for Adam Frazier, who's an all-star. He's having a great year. And But, you know, every team values guys differently. You know, the Pirates, the the guys that they acquired are having two really great seasons. You know, they got the top five prospect from the Padres organization, but the other two guys are having two really great seasons. And so the Pirates, Padres are looking at that, and MLB Pipeline hasn't been updated yet. If it was, these guys, you know, might crack the top 30, one of them. I keep seeing would crack the top 20 for the Padres organization in a great farm system. So every team values guys differently. And, um, you know, that's why at the end of the day, we don't know, you know, we can make trade proposals with Braxton Garrett and Jose Devers and Cam Meisner and this one and that one. But, you know, Craig, Craig is also saying to us that teams don't really value a lot of the hitting prospects that the Marlins have, except for Peyton Burdick. So, you know, how, how, we don't know how teams value Marlins prospects to the point where we don't know what they would have to give up to get some of the guys that they're after. We also don't know the guys that they're after. It's a type of player that they're looking for: controllable, young, talented center fielder. But it's not, you know, it's not like Mullins is a guy that they've had talks about, or Buxton is a guy that they have talks about. It's just they want to acquire a guy like.
0: Yeah, he fits, obviously, something that they're looking for. I don't know. I mean, if you want to talk about one more guy that could possibly be moved, though I was talking to Daniel Rodriguez today, and I'll give him the credit on this. He said internally he's had conversations with people within the organization. You know, I talked to him about maybe Jesus Aguiar being a security blanket move that Boston may make if they don't go out and acquire Anthony Rizzo, somebody that they've been linked to for a while, the – Red Sox drafted Rizzo in 2007. He's obviously had a relationship with John Lester. I know John Lester's not there, but, you know, he has a history with that organization that goes back, you know, two decades. I mean, but an Aguiar would definitely present an upgrade. He's at this point, he's a better offensive player. It seems like for the most part than Rizzo has been for the last couple of years. Not to say that Rizzo was fully not the player he was 2013 through say 2017. But, you know, Aguiar leads the National League in RBIs right now. He has, and just translating a 116 OPS plus in Miami over to Boston. You have to think he probably hit better there. We need a guy like, if Lewin Diaz is supposedly like this big return we were excited about when we traded him to the Twins, we got him from the Twins for Sergio Romo, don't you think it's time we start giving him regular reps?
2: Very glad that you brought up Lewin Diaz. That's going to be A nice point to end on here on the Fist Traps podcast about this next wave of young Marlins players that will step into the shoes vacated by whatever veterans they move at the deadline. Whether it's Lewin at first base, whether it's Edward Cabrera on the pitching staff. They don't really need to move anybody to make room for Eddie, but that just makes it even more natural. Transition for him if they do trade away several of these veteran relievers to uh, just make room for innings that need to be filled, an opportunity to get Nick Knightert a longer look, Braxton Garrett a longer look, some of these guys that aren't even on the 40-man roster. This, in most cases, this will clear space on the 40-man, which has been so crowded for much of this year, Uh, and finally, this is kind of the remedy to it, among other things. I'm excited to, to see those guys come up, whether it's from AAA or even some that are in A right now, kind of make that leap if they're performing well at the end of the season and if the Marlins believe now is the time to get a close look at them. This is always the perverted joy of falling and losing team, right? It's to see that those new faces that are the ones you would hope to really replace that production further down the road. And they need to start somewhere, right? They need to take a first step. And in August and September of 2021, that could be the first step to some incredible careers for these new guys here in Miami. Trade deadline coming up 4 p.m. Eastern time on July 30th. We're going to have it all covered uh, across fishstripes.com, our social media accounts, our YouTube channel, and of course, our podcast feed right here. So be sure to follow, like, subscribe, rate and review wherever you can. Uh, All the support. It means a ton to all of us here. I'm Eli Sussman. Thank you to Ethan Badowski and Lewis Adio-Weiss. We'll have you covered. And uh, we'll, of course, have you covered at the ballpark itself once the team returns post-trade deadline. Still 62 games to go in this regular season. So many rumors uh, that will really fill up our attention spans between now and then. We'll have you covered. And just as importantly, we love to hear from you guys about this approach to the deadline, your reaction once some of these moves finally go down this is uh in some respects the best time of the year regardless of where your team stands in this buying selling relationship so thanks again for all your support hope you guys keep listening to us here on the pod as always go fish